Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Josh. Thank you to the worship team. It's just so good to hear. I, the blessing to sit in the front, you guys, is you hear the sea of voices just singing holy, holy, holy to God. It was, it was a moving moment for me here up in the front. But thank you for being here today. I'm excited to be able to, to share with you, to teach about this amazing book, this book of Galatians, as we continue in this series of what God has for each of us and, and the way that, that God was writing this letter to this, these people right, in this one specific place. Right? You have that God has inspired Paul the Apostle to write these words to churches, a group of churches in a specific place, in a specific time, in this part of the world that you see here called Galatia. And you'll read in, the, in, in your Bibles about cities like Iconium and Lystra and Derby, and those are some of the cities of Galatia. And there were churches in these cities, and this letter is going out to all of these followers of Jesus that are still trying to figure this whole thing out, kind of like we are 2,000 years later. But these guys are only about two decades after the resurrection of Jesus. So they're, you know, it's fresh, it's young, it's new. They're, they're making their way through it. And then this letter comes to them. And we, we hear this, this word coming from God to these people in this place. And it makes me think, what would God write in his letter to Calvary Church. Do you ever think about that? I don't know. Maybe it's just me. But you think about what would be, you know, you got these letters that go to these people and you've got Paul, you know, like, why do you go back to this? And why did you forget that? And I commend you for doing this and don't forget that, you know, and he has these sort of call outs and then these encouragements and what would God have for us uh, in our letter? Uh, so, what I hope that, that you have, if you've come in, hopefully you have the little bulletin and it had this outline in there. I encourage you to grab that and there's pens in front of you too. And what we're going to do is we're going to read through this text. And then uh, you'll have a chance to jot some thoughts of maybe what would you think God would write in his letter to Calvary Church. But first, let's see what's in this, this portion of, of the letter for today. And so turn to Galatians, if you've got your Bible, Galatians 4. 8 to 20 is our portion today. Uh, We'll start with verse 7 just to kind of get us into it. Uh, If you're pulling out one of those Bibles in the back of the seat in front of you, you know, you're after Romans and Corinthians, then you get to Galatians, pretty near the back of your Bible. But Galatians 4, we'll actually read 7 to 20 right now. He says, Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. That you have all the inheritance as an heir, as a son would in the first century. You have all of that inheritance from God. That is who you are, all of you, as followers of Jesus. And then he says, however, at that time when you did not know God, you were slaves to those which by nature are no gods. But now that you've come to know God, or rather to be known by God... How is it that you turn back again to the weak and worthless elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? You observe days and months and seasons and years. And here he's talking about the the, the Jewish laws, okay? You're observing all these, these laws, and we'll get into this. He says, I fear for you that perhaps I've labored over you in vain. I beg of you, brethren, become as I am. 
For I also have become as you are. You have done me no wrong, but you know that it was because of a bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you the first time. Kind of why he stopped and stayed in this area. And that which was a trial to you in my bodily condition, you did not despise or loathe, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. Where then is that sense of blessing you had? For I bear you witness that, if possible, you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. So have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? They, these Judaizers, as he's speaking of, we'll talk about, they eagerly seek you, not commendably, but they wish to shut you out so that you will seek them. But it is good always to be eagerly sought in a commendable manner. And not only when I'm present with you, My children, with whom I'm again in labor until Christ is formed in you. But I could wish to be present with you now and to change my tone. For I am perplexed about you. All right, so that's what we have going on in this that we're going to dig into. But that's the heart of what this portion is of God's letter to the Galatians. What would God write in the letter to Calvary Church? So what I want to have you do right now is just take a minute. Okay, and grab a pen. We got them all out there for you. You know, probably 80% of them will work. <laughs> but, you know, grab a pen and then, and if it doesn't work, you know, don't put it back. Just throw it, throw it somewhere. Okay, like, like, you know, at the movies, just throw it in the ground. <laughs> but no, but grab a pen, grab the paper, grab anything and start to just jot some notes down. Not of what you like, but what do you think God would write to Calvary Church? Go. Thirty seconds. <laughs> it's not a long letter. <laughs> All right, let's uh Let's, let's bring it back. You can continue to jot down thoughts. I'm going to give you some more time to write, actually, some more thoughts a little bit later, okay, as we process through that. But we think, you know, okay, oh, Lord, what would you say to us? And sometimes we think, like, this is what I'd want to say to those people, you know. <laughs> and that's the way we write down what we think God would say to us. And so we have to begin to look into the Word. We look into the Scriptures to find out what would God say to us. We want God's Word to be our authority of what 
we think you would say. And so let's look at, we'll look through this passage and, and see some things that I think God was saying to the Galatians. And I think he's also saying to us. And then we'll continue to think about what would that, that letter say. And so this first chunk, we're looking at this first chunk of about 8 through 11. Okay, And, and you see on the screen verse 9, he says, you know, now that you've come to know God or even more how, how you've come to be known by God, how do you go back to be enslaved again by these weak, worthless, elemental things? You know, and you observe days and months and seasons and these feasts and, and all of that. And so what, what I think we're going to say here for us is don't give up grace and return to religion. Don't give up grace and return to religion. Because what was going on here is that they were slaves to religion and ritual and sacrifice for all these people. And then they're kind of going back into that again. And so what you have in Galatia in this first century, somewhere around 50 AD, remember not, not long after the, the resurrection of Jesus, is you have a group of people as the gospel is beginning to spread up into modern day Turkey, that Asia minor area of the world. You have people who were part of this whole Greco-Roman culture, right? And so they're following all the, the worship of these Greek and Roman mythological gods. And, and the practice of that worship, it would have ritual. It would have sacrifices. It would have specific instructions on how just even like your social life would work and function according to the gods, Okay, all of that is your, your whole life, your business, your social life, your, your, you know, everything was just surrounded by this whole worship of the gods and the systems of sacrifice and all of that that would go into it. Then, you know, they hear about the gospel of Jesus and they, they say yes and they, they're excited and they have received this grace and they, they, they've heard about this good news of Jesus and they're beginning to follow him. And then what's happening again is that you have these people come in that we call the Judaizers and these people come in and say, whoa, whoa, it's not just grace. You also have to follow the Jewish laws. And so you've got circumcision and the dietary laws and following all the, the feasts and customs and all of that, right? And so that's why he's saying, why would you, you know, after you were following these things that were no gods, now you find Jesus, why would you go back and be enslaved again to following all of these rules of religion instead of the grace that comes from Jesus? And, you know, so like, I think when they hear about this this practice of these laws, it's actually, like, it feels comfortable to them. It feels good to them. It feels familiar, right? Because all of that is tangible. It's measurable. Grace, that's fuzzy, right? Grace is a fuzzy concept. Uh, even the, the power and work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and trusting the Holy Spirit to, to do the work, that is very intangible. And I think maybe for more of us than, you know, are willing to admit that that's hard to understand and hard to trust and actually believe, Right? And I, I just want to even talk a little bit about like, how this has sort of played out in, in my life and the way that, that kind of I was raised and the way that I began to relate to God in light of that. Um, so going way back to when my mom and dad got married. And uh, they got married when they were 18, 19 years old. 
And uh, they then, a year later, they lived up in Canada. They lived in a place called Powell River, British Columbia. My dad worked in a paper mill. And uh, that's why he ended up moving down here because he was so stressed of watching people get their arms like sucked into the, the paper mill and just, you know, all that. That they say, yeah, we're going to California. You know? <laughs> and so they came down and uh, before I was born even. But, but they, a year after they got married, they had uh, their first child, uh, my older brother. And then another year after that, they had their second child, my sister. And then they were told after my sister was born that they could no longer have children. Okay, like something happened where, hey, you were no longer going to be able to have children. So, you know, a year goes by and you start to believe them. And then, you know, five years goes by, you believe them a little bit more. Ten years goes by, I mean, this is sinking into your concrete thinking. Like, this is solidified in your mind of what your life will be. Fifteen years goes by. You know, 18 goes by, your, your uh, older uh, son is up in the Bay Area at college, and then uh, 19 years goes by, and my, <laughs> sorry, their daughter gets married, and then a year after you've married off your daughter, and uh, you're just fully embracing the empty nest lifestyle, knowing you couldn't have children, for 20 years, my mom got sick, and... She got sick and thought she had the flu because she was throwing up all the time. Obviously, you know the punchline. But <laughs> she goes to the doctor, and the doctor says, you know, honey, you don't have the flu. You're pregnant. And, uh, you know, I think about that. For me, I, we have a 14- and a 10-year-old uh, daughters both. And I think about 10 years from now, getting pregnant, that's not a blessing. That's a nightmare, right? <laughs> and, Whew. Uh, so anyway, they, they find out they're, they're pregnant, and after, after 20 years, right? I mean, believing that you can't have children. And then uh, you, you know, you, the reason I think we've got nine months or so is that you, you can move from nightmare to blessing, right? You can process and kind of uh, think about this for a while. And, I, and I, they had, and they'd gotten into that, and I'm born. And then, as I'm still a little baby... Uh, I was diagnosed with leukemia. Uh, so I had cancer of the blood as a little baby. And uh, I don't if you know this, but like back then, I'm 42. So if, uh, back then, uh, the, the survival rate was only about 10% of pediatric leukemia. And so they're thinking, you know, that this baby that they think is, you know, they've moved from nightmare to miracle, you know, in some way, is now this baby's going to die. And so they... They brought in the, the elders of the church, and they came into the hospital, and they anointed me with oil, and they laid their hands on me, and they prayed. And they prayed for healing, and God healed me. It's amazing, right? It's this amazing miracle. <laughs> yeah. It really is. It's just incredible. And it's just, it, it's, it's such a gift. And then my parents were just these amazing people where they, they had this, we, we had this, this home that they bought. They bought kind of like a, a little bit of a bigger house so that they could take in more people. And this is a picture. I love this picture. It's like so 70s, right? It's the most 70s picture you've ever seen. And uh, this picture is, you've got, uh, this is my, my dad here and my mom. And this is me, the little blonde kid here. And this is my sister my brother is not in the picture because he was up in the Bay Area. And then this is my, my sister's husband, uh, Rod. <laughs> ah, he looks so good there. But uh, 
So my parents just took in all these people, like kids that were off, getting off drugs or had gotten out of jail or girls that were pregnant out of marriage, and they just took them in and started taking care of them. And actually, Rod, this guy, like my brother-in-law, was one of them. Ended up marrying my sister, and uh, it's worked out. <laughs> but uh, it, what, just follow, like seeing this amazing example of them bringing all these people into our home, and then out of that, they actually started this group of group homes called Concept 7 that was, you know, they couldn't just take them all in our house. So there was homes for kids that were abused or kids out of juvenile hall or, you know, like pregnant girl, teenage girls, and just all these different homes. And then they started a foster family agency and, you know, all this just like amazing stuff that my parents did. My mom was a marriage family therapist, and I would just have constantly people coming up to me. Your mom saved our marriage. Your mom saved our marriage. You know, all that kind of thing. And then uh, my dad became a pastor and just surrounded by all this amazing stuff my parents did, as well as them being pretty, you know, strict, high expectations kind of people. And so all of that, all of that stuff that I've just told you is good and incredible and wonderful. And as a kid, you know what that felt like? It felt like pressure. And it's not, I'm not complaining about it. You know, I'm not, like, it's, how could you complain about all that stuff happening in your life? But as a kid, it felt like pressure. And in the way that it, the way all of that sort of affected the way that I related to God, it felt like you better perform because you've been given all of this. You better do right. You better do good. And, and the way then that somehow it got messed up in my head, if, if there's lies of the enemy or what, is that this became, if you don't perform for God, God doesn't love you. If you perform for God, God loves you. And here's your expectations. Miracles, healing, your life is a life of destiny or something, you know, and that kind of level. And your parents are these perfect humans and you better be as good as them, right? Like that's just kind of how that built up in my mind. And that, so if I read my Bible, pray every day, and then God is pleased and I don't have guilt. But if not, then God is displeased with me and I was filled with guilt and shame. I don't know why it translated as that, but that's kind of just what ended up playing out in the way that I was relating to God. And so then when I come to something like this, don't give up grace and return to religion, it's so easy for me to think, no, 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 I need to go back. I need to get into my religious duties and perform them for God or else God's not pleased with me versus the grace of God covering all of that and the power of the Holy Spirit giving me the strength to do whatever I would do for God. I don't know, any sense of relating to that in your own life, you know? Just be thinking about, like, does maybe anyone relate to that sense of a need? And so I think what happens is, is we return to religion because it's comfortable, it's relatable, it's familiar, it's easy to wrap our, our heads and minds around all of that. There's a quote by a guy named Richard Lovelace. He wrote this book that, uh, called Dynamics of Spiritual Life, and he says that Christians who are no longer sure that God loves and accepts them, apart from their spiritual achievements, are subconsciously insecure people. It says even more so than non-Christians because 
you're constantly receiving messages like within, from the Christian environment that, that, you know, about the holiness and righteousness of God that you have to live out. And so you get insecure, and then that insecurity plays itself out as pride, and then it plays itself out as defensiveness and can lead into sort of that legal, legalism, pharisaical kind of righteousness thing. And so for me, that was my experience. And I know I was also smart enough to know that I can't earn my salvation, right? I know enough about the scriptures to know I can't earn my salvation. But I was also insecure enough to think that I could earn my acceptance and love from God. I think that's a pretty important distinction for many of us that have been raised in the church or been in the church for a long time. We probably are smart enough to know that we can't earn our salvation, but we think we can earn our acceptance. Do you think you can earn your acceptance from God? Don't give up grace and return to religion. The next chunk, okay, we look at 12 to 16, and just one of these key verses in here is just where, you know, where then is that sense of blessing you had? Where's that first love? Where's that passion you had when I first came to you, Paul says? Where he says that crazy line of, you would have plucked out your eyes for me, right? When I, when I came to you, you were so passionate that you would have plucked out your eyes for me. But then he says, but now I'm your enemy because I'm telling you the truth? Because I'm saying don't go back to that thing that was comfortable, that thing that was tangible and all of that, and, and to remember the grace— And so for us, don't give up your gospel mission for consumer comfort, okay? Don't give up your gospel mission for consumer comfort. Paul was completely, thoroughly sold out for the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is everything. Like the good news, proclaiming that to the world, that was his total mission, right? To do that. And they were sold out for that mission as well. And he's like, be like me. Do what I do. You know, I know you had to take care of me. And I only stopped here because I was sick. And now I'm, but I'm proclaiming the gospel. And so now you're following it. Don't go back. Don't go back to what was easier for you to relate to. Don't go back to what was comfortable for you. For them, sure, it's all those rituals and, and religion. What is it for us? What is it for you? And I just want us to remember our first love. Do you remember when you first became a follower of Jesus? Do you remember what that was like for you? Were you fired up, you know? Or, or even if you were raised in a Christian home, kind of that, that moment when your faith became your own, right? There's that time in life where, oh, wow, this isn't just my, my parents' faith anymore. This is, now I'm, I'm fired up for Jesus, and so there's that time, and, and remember that, and what you were like, and how you were probably passionate about other people hearing about Jesus, and knowing about the grace and the forgiveness that you have received. That's that gospel mission. But somehow, for almost like all people, I don't know like what, how this happens, but somehow we get comfortable, and we get less passionate. Right? So don't give up your gospel mission for that consumer comfort of, of kind of having things to be the way that you want them, right? And, and so I think this really gets into this whole notion of evangelism, of, of sharing the gospel with people and, and wanting people to hear about uh, who Jesus is, wanting new people to be coming to church and all, all that kind of heart. And then it's maybe, you know, it's sort of personal confession time too. 
as someone that I feel like so much of, of my life, I could say, you know, follow me, do as I do. Like Paul says, be like me in the way that I'm living out this life. Like, I tell you, like, evangelism is something that is a struggle for me personally, okay? Just talking to people about Jesus, taking that conversation to that next level. It's just, it's something that's more of a struggle. I don't believe it's one of my spiritual gifts. I also, like, you know, that, that difficulty of taking the conversation from sort of the, like, whatever, like, sort of just like what feels normal, and then to take that turn, you know, into the awkward for some people about, like, okay, now we're going to talk about Jesus, and like, whoa, okay, you know, what do you mean Jesus? And, and so it's just, that turn is tough. And so I've recognized, for me, like, I just, I want to be then, if I, if I recognize a weakness in this area, what I want to do is I want to pray hard into this, you know? I want to pray hard for Jesus to work, for the Holy Spirit to work in my life. Because I believe that the Holy Spirit gives the power to do this. So I want to pray and ask for that. And so even just like a couple months ago, I've just been even thinking this through. And I was trying to like have something that would help me remember to do this and remember to pray this. And this is, you know, kind of unfinished story, but I... I came up with this, it's sort of a cheesy acronym, and uh, it's chow, right? Uh, Dave and I always like art, like fight, like playfully fight about alliteration, because I hate alliteration, and he doesn't like that I don't like it. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but uh, it's, you know, but then this acronym, so he was very proud of me, you know, in this moment. Uh, <laughs> but this, this chow acronym, it's helped me remember, okay, chow, here are four things to be praying for, and I hope you can, maybe this could be helpful for you, but I ask, these are all things that the Holy Spirit gives us and can help us with when it comes to our gospel mission, right? So courage. First, we pray for courage. Holy Spirit, give me the courage, the boldness to step into that hard conversation. But also, Lord, give me a heart, right? A love, a desire, a a want to be able to share the gospel with people. Give me a love for that person I'm talking to. And then thirdly, Lord, give me an opportunity, Give me opportunities. Lord, open a door, please, for me to be able to share with someone. And then finally, the fourth thing, the W. Lord, give me words to say. In the midst of that moment, may the Holy Spirit, as it says in the Scripture, He will, give me words to say in this moment that are kind of beyond my intellect. Right? So, Lord, give me words to say. Ciao. Courage, heart, opportunity, words. I think that can be just a great prayer for all of us to be able to pray, to ask God to work in us in this way for evangelism, that we would feed that part of us that, that struggles, maybe. And I think, like, for a lot of people, it's probably not all, but for a lot of people, that it is a struggle to, to enter into those kind of conversations. So let's pray for it. And, and, you know, Paul says they were passionate. They were so passionate, they'd pluck out their eyes for him. And then now they're calling him an enemy because he's calling them out on some stuff. And, and so we, I think, for us... We need to become a church because these messages are for the church, not for individuals only. We need to become a church that is warm, that is welcoming, that's invitational. That there wouldn't be anyone sitting alone that hasn't had three people, you know, ask them to come sit with them. That there wouldn't be anyone that would leave here without three people asking them to go to lunch after church, you know. That we wouldn't just always go with the person that, 
you know, we always go with, right, to lunch after church. Let's go with somebody that's new, somebody we've never met. Let's be warm and welcoming and be the kind of church that's the kind of church that's attractive to the gospel. Let's be the kind of church that has a heart for the lost and the new person, the person that's younger than us, the person that's older than us. So let's not give up our gospel mission because we like things the way we like things, right? That the gospel mission is more important than our consumer comfort. And so when it comes to things in the church, it's like the music, the teaching, the services, the, you know, the different people that are around. Let's make sure that our heart is for the gospel rather than our heart is for ourselves and our own comfort, All right? So don't give up your gospel mission for consumer comfort. The next chunk, the last little bit, 17 to 20, uh, I think this is kind of a key verse of it. They, They, those Judaizers, they eagerly seek you. That eagerly seek you part, okay, the Greek of that is puff up or flatter. Okay? They puff you up and flatter you. Not commendably. Okay? But they wish to shut you out so that you will seek them. So these people come in and they, you know, they flatter them and they speak these nice words to them to get them away. And then it's like now you're dependent on them and you've gotten away from your community. It's kind of like a cult leader mentality feeling, right? And so that's what's going on where they're, they're giving these sweet words of false teaching. And so I say to you, don't give up truth for the sweet words of false teaching, So even as we talk about, I want you to hear this, as we talk about don't give up gospel mission for consumer comfort, you know, don't give up grace for religion, we aren't then saying have some sort of, you know, no truth, light truth, light Bible light sort of religion that's easy. Don't give up truth for these sweet words of false teaching, but make sure that everything, all that we do, comes from the authority of Scripture in our lives. That the Scriptures, not our traditions, not the things that we like, and or not the things, you know, anything, right? Because so often, like, the sweet words of false teaching, it's not just the bad stuff that the bad people do. It's also the ways that we get off track in placing as priorities things that aren't priorities, okay? So don't give up the truth um, for sweet words of false teaching. And I think that's whether, like, some of that could be this consumerism that we've talked about. Some of that could be uh, what I call, like, deconstructionism. Okay, I don't know if you know, like, there's sort of this, this like, mindset that is happening in the world of, um, uh, of Christianity and some that are saying, hey, what we need to do is deconstruct all of the stuff that we've thought, right? Deconstruct everything that we've thought and all of the, the rules and all of that and take it all the way down, right? At some level, that's not terrible. But what really gets terrible is that what happens is what's next is Let's construct a new thing now according to whatever is right in our own eyes. You know, and that's sort of what, what's going on, right? Is you have this way of deconstructing because, you know, it's like a, it's a generational thing. Every generation kind of bucks against the generation, right? You know, and it's like, let's, let's like change it all and all of that. But the problem is it's not then let's build up according to the authority of Scripture. It's just let's build up according to whatever's right in our own eyes. And that's a big, I think, philosophical danger in our society today. 
And so, but that is a sweet word of false teaching. But it's also a sweet word of false teaching of sort of a hyper-legalistic fundamentalism that's more of like a works-based uh, faith, you know? So you've got different, like, ends of the spectrum of sweet words of false teaching depending upon, you know, where you're coming from in all of that. And so this gospel ministry, it's truth-centered, but it's also loving, right? That grace and truth go together all the time because grace is truth. And so we want to make sure that we are living it out in that kind of way. It's the firm heart, right? The firm center, core convictions with soft edges that are gentle and caring and nurturing and loving. We don't give up our core convictions, but we're loving in the way we display those core convictions. That's kind of how, how we live that out. And, and we remember then in the midst of all this that Paul is saying to them, my dear children, you know, I love you. But he's speaking this to them as a group, right? As a church. This is not just to them as individuals. I'm saying this to you as a group. And so we are a group. We are this church, this community. And so God is speaking these words to us today, not just as individuals, but as a group. And he says to us, don't give up grace for religion. Don't give up your gospel mission for consumer comfort. And don't give up truth for the sweet words of false teaching. You know, we, we just, we hope that what, what we would have is, there's kind of a thought of, uh, you know, as a church, we just hope that even our, our complaints would be better. <laughs> the things that upset us, right? We hope that our complaints would be better. Instead of our complaints being about the temperature of the room or the color of our lovely seats or uh, the, you know, the songs that were selected or the volume or things like that. But what if our complaints were more along the lines of, man, I wish the gospel was proclaimed more that day. I wish we had more visitors that day. Why did we not have more visitors that day that heard the gospel of Jesus Christ? You know, these sorts of things. Like, just let's have a, a mindset shift in the way that we act as a community. That we would have the heart for all of those things. For our heart, yes, for truth and for the gospel mission and for grace. That that's what our heart would be after. Those are the things that get us fired up. All of that. That we have this whole mindset shift. I was, uh, I, I heard from Doug Brown, our high school pastor. He's in Albania with our high school students, and they were, uh, he even texted me right at nine o'clock as we were starting and said, hey, we're actually starting a service right now uh, in Luznia, Albania. And that's awesome, right? And he, he had sent me a thing earlier this week. He kind of knew some of the stuff we were talking about, and he said, man, just so you know, we are in this room. This room is awful. <laughs> this room is hot. The sound system is the worst sound system I've ever had, you know? The music's terrible. <laughs> Everything about it, right? It's just uncomfortable and sort of bad. <laughs> but people were praising God like no one else, you know? That was the heart. And that's the heart that we pray for us to have of just let it be about, let it be about Jesus rather than ourselves. And so what I'd like you to do now is just have a couple minutes here, okay? You have a couple minutes now to write down 
some more thoughts. And you probably saw on the outline as you're looking through on that paper, there were sections under each point where you could just jot down some answers to what would God write to Calvary Church about grace over religion, about gospel over comfort, and about truth over false teaching. So I want to just give you about two minutes right now to begin to write down some more things that you think God would write to Calvary Church after hearing this message. Okay, go ahead, take a couple minutes. Keep writing, but we actually did this as a church staff at our staff chapel uh, this Tuesday. We went through this process of writing these things down, and and then we went through a time of just even praying, like Lord, because we're again, it's a church. The church is the whole of us, not individuals, and so we prayed, and we want to pray though now here as a whole that. I want to pray that, Lord, just forgive us for the ways that we've gotten off track with this. We all get off track. Like I shared with you the ways I've gotten off track with this in my life. And you're going to have different ways. Each of us as individuals have ways that we've gotten off track. And then maybe as a whole, we just need to hold each other up to put the main thing as the main thing. So I want to take a little time to pray. And I'm going to just pray... And then give you just a moment just to say your words silently to God. So let's just bow our heads in just an attitude of prayer in this. Lord, God, forgive us for putting religion over grace. Forgive us for needing the tangible when you offer the Spirit. Lord, forgive us for putting obligation over joy and love. Just take a moment to pray to God now about that aspect of grace over religion. Lord, forgive us 
for placing our comfort and our preferences above the mission of the gospel. May we repent of that as a church. May we remember our first love. May we not be well-trained soldiers who never go into battle. Pray about that for a moment. Lord, forgive us for allowing the sweet words of false teaching to be placed above truth. And Lord, for each of us, it's displayed, can be displayed in that consumerism or works-based legalism or deconstructing. God, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to put your truth above tradition. Take a moment to pray about that. So, Lord, we pray that you would give us the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That we would see the power of the Holy Spirit displayed in our lives. To be able to live these things out, not from our own strength, our own intellect, or our sheer willpower, God. But help us to live all of this out as a church, as a community, by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to move to a time just now of continuing to worship. We'll be able to worship through giving as the offering is passed. There's also the card is available. It's in the back of the seat in front of you for a guest or visitor. I'd love for you just to be able to fill that out with prayer requests that you'd have. As the offering comes around, you can turn that in. There'll be folks available to pray at the prayer points too, even as we sing these next couple songs. But let's now just commit the rest of this time to, to worshiping God with all of our hearts. Heavenly Father, we give you this time. We give you our praises. We give you this money. We give you our very lives, Lord. And so, Lord, may we display the things we've learned today in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.